It's Friday, November 6th. Welcome to The Peak Weekly. We're breaking down the most complex Canadian and global business stories and giving you the bullet points you need to stay informed. I'm your host, Brett Chang. This week, we're starting with what everyone's talking about. You know it. I know it. We don't want to talk about it anymore, but it's the U.S. presidential election. And here's my promise. This is going to be the last time we talk about it on this podcast until 2024. We'll go in depth into what's happening, what it all means, how it affects Canada, and what's next. Our second story is about Ant Group, the Alibaba payment division that was supposed to be the largest IPO ever until it got canceled. And our third story, COVID vaccines. When can I get one? Our first story is the U.S. presidential election. As of recording on Friday, November 6th, three days after the election, we still don't have an official winner yet. But as votes are being counted, we're getting a pretty good idea of how everything is going to unfold. Here's what we're seeing. It's looking likely that Joe Biden will be elected as the next president of the United States of America. His strong performance in the Midwest, particularly Wisconsin and Michigan, plus likely wins in Arizona, Nevada, Nebraska, second, Maine, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, put him on a very clear path to get to the 270 electoral college votes he needs to win the election. But it's not all great news for the Democrats. Going into the election, the Democrats expected a blue wave that would propel them to win a number of tight Senate races in swing states like Georgia and North Carolina. That never happened. The Democrats are now only expected to pick up two to three Senate seats instead of the six they needed to regain control. But let's take a step back from the details and look at what all of this means. Well, the first thing you need to know is that it's very likely that Donald Trump lost. Democrats will breathe a sigh of relief knowing that Donald Trump is no longer in the White House. But the election was far closer than expected, at least according to the polls. So the party is going to have to do some serious reflection to determine what went wrong and how to fix it for future cycles. And the most pressing issue for them is the loss of these key Senate races in Georgia, North Carolina, and Montana. A Republican-held Senate is going to make governing very challenging for Joe Biden. The Biden administration is going to have to find creative ways to advance their legislative agenda with divided houses. Now, what does this all mean for Canada? Like a scene out of the odd couple, Prime Minister Trudeau had a fairly constructive relationship with President Trump. But Trudeau's relationship with Biden will almost certainly be friendlier. Here are three other ways a Biden presidency will impact Canada. On trade, Biden will almost certainly take a more favorable view of trade with Canada, which is great news for our auto, steel, and lumber industries. On climate, the Biden administration will take a much more aggressive stance in fighting climate change. And while this will hurt Alberta's oil sands and Canada's energy sector at large, climate change is a global issue, and it will be great to see some real leadership from the United States on it. On the economy, with a second wave of COVID in full swing, Biden is inheriting a very shaky economy that will likely need a serious boost. That will probably come in the form of a large stimulus package. A successful recovery will pump life into the U.S. economy and by proxy give ours a lift too. So what's next? Well, the next few days are defined by uncertainty. As ballots are counted, the United States is in political limbo. President Trump is already making accusations of voter fraud, initiating recounts and legal challenges wherever he can. And don't forget, if or when Biden is declared the winner, Trump will still have approximately 70 days in office before President-elect Biden's inauguration. But don't worry, among all the chaos, the Peaks Daily Newsletter will be here to keep you informed on the latest presidential election news. Our second story is about a company you've probably never even heard of, but really should know about. It's called Ant Financial. Ant is the financial division of Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce juggernaut. And with over 700 million users, Ant is among the largest financial institutions not only in China, but anywhere in the world. For comparison, PayPal has only 340 million active users worldwide. But what does Ant do? Well, they actually do a lot. It's basically a full-service digital bank, and that's big business. 
Ant raised $30 billion to list on the Hong Kong and Shanghai stock exchanges and was on track to be the largest IPO ever until it was canceled. But we'll get into that. Let's first talk about what Ant does. Here are three things you know to get up to speed. For one, Ant is more than a payment app. Sure, you can use Alipay, the Ant payment app, at millions of physical and digital shops, including some in Canada, but Ant is so much more. Think of them as a full-service bank. You can get a credit card from Ant, you can buy insurance from Ant, you can even take out a small business loan from Ant. And that brings us to our second point. Ant styles themselves more as a data company than a bank. When you buy a coffee using Alipay, Ant collects data on that purchase. Ant uses that data to make smarter recommendations on what financial products consumers need. Smarter recommendations equal more sales, equal higher profits, and that's our third point. Ant is super profitable. Last year, Ant earned $18 billion in revenue and made $2.7 billion in profit. Markets are betting that Ant will continue to expand their product offerings and become even more profitable alongside China's continued growth. But what happened to that IPO? Ant Group was scheduled to go public last Thursday at a record-shattering $313 billion valuation until the Shanghai Stock Exchange suspended the listing on Tuesday evening. But what caused the suspension? Beijing introduced draft legislation the day before that would force the company to rethink its entire model. The rules target Ant Group's very popular loans business and would require the internet platform to provide at least 30% funding of their loans and would cap them at $44,000 American. Currently, Ant only funds 2% of its loans, with the rest coming from banks. This hurts Ant's status as a matchmaker between banks and borrowers. Now Ant would have to take on much of the loans themselves, and that will certainly change their valuation, with some saying it'll cut it in half. But where did this all come from? Well, Jack Ma made comments at a Shanghai conference the week before, criticizing Chinese financial regulators for not encouraging innovation enough. China observers see this as the Chinese government pushing back on Ma, and many comment that it's in line with what Chinese President Xi Jinping has been saying about keeping private companies on a tighter leash. The expectation is that Ant will eventually go public, but when is anyone's guess? And that's the most important point of this story. As much as companies like ByteDance, Tencent, and Alibaba claim independence, the Chinese government is still their masters, and investors should keep this in mind when evaluating the risk profile of these companies. Our last story is the question on everyone's mind. When will we be able to get a COVID-19 vaccine? That's a complicated question that requires a detailed answer, so let's get right into it. Let's start with who the major players are. In the West, it's the big pharma companies, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. All of them are currently running huge late-stage trials as they each race to be the first FDA-approved vaccine. It's assumed that once they receive FDA approvals, other health authorities, including Health Canada, will quickly follow suit. So where do each of them stand? AstraZeneca, in partnership with Oxford University, is developing a two-dose COVID-19 vaccine. The pharma giant had to pause their late-stage study when a patient developed neurological symptoms, which don't sound good. But early last week, AstraZeneca was given the go-ahead to restart the trials when independent monitoring committees and regulators agreed it was safe to resume. But the best news? Last week, AstraZeneca and Oxford confirmed that results from the trial indicate that one dose of their vaccine is effective at producing an immune response among all ages. That's great news, but they still need to submit their findings to be peer-reviewed before they can get approval. And it's best not to put your eggs in one basket, so how are the other ones doing? Well, Johnson & Johnson had a similar setback to AstraZeneca. A few weeks ago, a trial volunteer reported a stroke, which also doesn't sound great, and that forced the trial to stop. But similar to AstraZeneca, the FDA and other regulators looked into it and gave Johnson & Johnson permission to proceed with their 60,000-person trial. The latest update from them is that they're planning to start testing their vaccine in children between the ages of 12 to 18. 
One important thing to note about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is that they're the only one involving a single dose being tested, which for someone scared of needles like myself is obviously the preferred choice. Next, we have Pfizer. Their current trial with German BioNTech could reveal the vaccine's effectiveness by late November, which would be the first from any vaccine candidate. This means we could potentially get emergency authorization by the end of the year. But not so fast. Moderna thinks they can beat Pfizer and say they're already preparing for a global launch. The Cambridge, Massachusetts-based pharmaceutical company said that nearly 27,000 of their trial's 30,000 participants have received a second dose of the vaccine. The one caveat is that the Moderna vaccine has to be stored at negative 15 degrees Celsius, which makes it harder to store and distribute than other candidates. And the real dark horses are the international vaccines. The Russian project Sputnik V was approved in September for use in Russia, making it the first vaccine candidate to be approved by any health agency. But don't, don't get too excited. Russia has released very limited evidence of the drug's effectiveness, and trials have been fairly small, so we're not even sure it's safe. Now the big question is, when do we think we'll get it? And that really is an unknown. If vaccines are on schedule to get approved in January, there are still lots of questions around manufacturing and specifically distribution. Experts are estimating that we won't see a mass vaccination program until September 2021. Either way, the Peak will be here to keep you updated on the latest. And that's all for the Peak Weekly. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. For more of the Peak, you can get our free morning newsletter by subscribing at readthepeak.com. It's informative, witty, and everything you need to start your day.